Okay, so I need you to do this. This is a thought experiment, but you actually have to do it for it to work. So everyone ready? You have to do everything I say. Pull out your wallets and give, no, kidding. <laughs> okay, number one, everyone put your hand out. Imagine with me that you have a lemon in your hand. Feel how cold it is since you just took it out of the refrigerator. Feel the two knobs on the ends? Okay. Now take a knife and cut the lemon in half. Careful, don't cut yourself. Look at the juice run down over the sides. Now put one half down and just hold the other half of the lemon. Now look at the inside of the cut lemon. Lean down and smell the lemon. Get a good full sense of the lemon's fresh scent of the just cut lemon. Okay, now squeeze the lemon. See how the juice oozes up and covers the surface of the cut lemon? Now lick the lemon. That's right, lick it. Okay, who feels like you have more saliva in your mouth than you did a minute ago? It's drooling out of the corner of your mouth, I see it. What just happened right there? The power of your mind, right? It's not legitimate, there's not a lemon in your hand, and yet your mind going through that exercise causes a fundamental change in your body. The book of Proverbs says this, as a man thinks in his heart, the Hebrew for heart is very different than this, it's the center of your being, as a man thinks in the center of his being, so is he. That your brain has a incredible power, that the things that we think about begin to shape who we actually are. So we're in a section now of the book of 2 Samuel that's super nasty. And there's a reason why the people, the characters have become super nasty. Guess what it is? What they've been thinking about. It's what their minds have been on. And you could title these next couple chapters just the bad fruit of bitterness. That they have set their minds on these bitter thoughts and now it's now being expressed out in the way that they are acting. Their mind has that power. So if you're new, let me catch you up to where we're at in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is the story of King David. And right now we are in the midst of his demise. So the first one third, chapter one through chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, David's brilliant. He is bold, he is decisive, he is victorious, he is confident. He's, you're just like, wow, he's amazing. But then chapter 11 is a hinged chapter. And in the past few weeks, as we've been studying David, ever since his sin with Bathsheba, when he commits adultery with another man's wife, tries to label it as him, and then has the husband killed, ever since that event, 
he's changed. He's now passive. He barely talks. It's a real, you can see it if you read the book again. You can see it. Before he has these long conversations, he's prayerful, he's in the temple. Now it's he's passive. He barely talks. He makes really bad decisions. He's unforgiving. In times where he needed to step up, David has stepped back, right? One of his sons, he's got multiple wives, so he has a bunch of sons and daughters that are half-siblings, one of his sons rapes one of his daughters. And what's his response? I'll read it for you. It's chapter 13, verse 12. 21, excuse me. When King David heard of these things, he was very angry. That's it. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't comfort his daughter. Doesn't do anything. That's not decisive. That's not helpful. Then, because of that, one of his sons, the full sibling of the raped daughter, Tamar, Absalom is the full brother, invites the rapist to this dinner and murders him. So he had a rapist in his family. Now he has a murderer in his family. So how does David respond to that? Well, I'll read, you. I'll read it for you. It's... Verse 39, and the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom, the murderer, because he was comforted about Amnon, the rapist, because he was dead. What? If you're carefully reading about David right here, it's not very good. It's like he's this ringing hand guy that just doesn't know what to do right now. It's sad but it often happens to men where men have done something unseemly. Men have failed tragically. And instead of getting up and repenting and moving forward and doing what you need to do, taking the repercussions, understanding that you have to pay for that, doing all the things that you're supposed to do, instead of doing that, they just give up. Instead of knowing that, hey, God is great enough to even take this situation, Romans 8, 28, all things, even bad things we do, God can work them for good. Instead of trusting in God, it's, they just give up, just like David does. It's been said there's three kinds of men, men that make things happen, men that watch things happen, and then men that sit and wonder, what happened? David is the third category now. He's sitting back just wondering, what's happening? What's ha and he's not engaged at all, and it's really sad. So we are in the lowest point of David's life right now. It's, he is as low as possible. So David now, Absalom has come back from his exile. He is the number one son. He is handsome. He's got the hair of Fabio. He's got the ego of a Saudi prince. He's got the chariot of a Justin Bieber. It's a four horsepower Ferrari and he roars around Jerusalem in it. I mean, he's a big deal. And now he launches a coup against his dad. Brutal. David could have shut up the city of Jerusalem and fought it out right there. But here's what I love so much about David. 
David loves the people of Jerusalem more than he loves being a king, and so he gives up the kingdom to protect his people. Isn't that what great leaders do? Now, I'm not staying here and fighting because innocent people will die. I'll give up my kingship. I'll leave my city, the city that's named after me. I'll leave that city rather than see people I love subject to hardship. It's so good. And then number two, he just trusts God. It's easy to trust God when the sun's shining. It's easy to trust when you got the promotion and your kids are healthy and all of them are above average and your wife is gorgeous and your Tesla Model 3 just got delivered. It's easy. It's much more difficult to trust God when you just lost everything. And that's where David's at. He has lost everything. And in the loss, here's what happens. These dark times awaken the old David and he's back. He starts being decisive. He starts being caring. He stops his passivity. He stops brushing things off. He starts doing what he needs to do. Have you noticed that in your own life? Often it's the valley, it's the dark time, it's the hardship that awakens in you again what you're supposed to be. Sometimes we need the valley of the shadow of death. David does, it gets him back. And in the midst of this, what we're gonna see is this. Um, we have this jar of tea at my house. And what has happened to this jar of tea is, over years, it just has these random bags of tea in it. And they're missing the label, so you don't know what flavor they are. The only way you can figure out what flavor they are is to guess what? Put them in hot water. There's a lot of hot water right now, and the hot water of chapter 16 and 17 and 18 reveal the flavor of all the characters that we're going to see. So we're gonna jump in, chapter 16, 2 Samuel, and we're gonna start seeing a bunch of different flavors of these characters. 16, verse one. Second Samuel 16.1, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, so he is leaving the city of Jerusalem, he doesn't want the fight to happen there, he doesn't want people to be hurt. Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys were for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. Ziba, what flavor is he? He is a clever manipulator. If you have not been with us in 2 Samuel, here's what has happened. Here's how Ziba has come into the picture. 
David and Jonathan were best of friends. Jonathan was supposed to be the next king, son of the king. King Saul's son is Jonathan. They make a vow because they're best friends. Listen, if anything were to happen to me or anything were to happen to you, let's take care of each other's family. They vow a vow to do that. Jonathan ends up dying with his dad, King Saul, in a battle. So David honors that vow. He finds Mephibosheth, who is a cripple, son of Jonathan, grandson of King Saul, and brings him into his courtroom and daily eats dinner with King David, remembers his vow. Ziba was King Saul's servant. So when King Saul dies and Jonathan dies, Ziba is the man now. He's steward of all King Saul's stuff. So for about 10 years, Ziba lived like a king. Lived off the king's stuff, lived in the king's house. He loved it. But then Mephibosheth comes back, grandson of the deposed king. And so now Mephibosheth gets all of his dad's grandpa's stuff. And so now Ziba loses his position and becomes a servant to Mephibosheth. So now is his chance. He takes Mephibosheth and throws him under a bus. Oh, he's trying to get the kingdom back, but I'm on your side, King Saul. I mean, King David, I'm totally on your side. And so David here does something. He should have paused because you can see in verse two, his spidey sense is going off for a second, right? He's like, verse two, why have you brought these? What are you doing, dude? So he kind of has a suspicious tone right there. What's your deal, bro? And he gives him the story. And instead of listening to that spidey sense of being, hold on, things aren't quite matching up. He's like, okay, I'm giving you everything that was Mephibosheth's. We're gonna find out this is a giant mistake. He reacts instead of responds. He should have thought and thought about it. Do you know that you can be fooled by people? I know I can be. When I talk to a guy about his marriage, one of the first things I'll do is tell him this. Listen, bro, you can fool me. If you wanna give me the pretty picture of you and how you're perfect and your wife is a total crazy lunatic, you can, I'll probably believe you. You can fool me, but that won't help your marriage. So if you wanna help your marriage, be real honest with me. It's easy to fool me. A wise King David gets fooled. One of the most important things we can do when people are talking to us in situations like this is to be praying James 3. Give me wisdom from above on how to make this decision because I can be fooled. I can see things wrongly. I can believe the first person that comes to me. Give me wisdom. I have never regretted something I did not say. But like King David, there's many times I make rash decisions and man, I regret them. Be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? So Ziba, he's just this guy that tries to work every situation for his own advantage. You know people like that? They make everything about them. They're always either the victim or they're always the hero. It's always about them. You go out on a date with a guy like that, the whole time he just talks about himself. And then at the end of the meal, it's like, hey, enough of me talking. Why don't you tell me what you think of me, right? That's it. 
everything's about them, right? Do you know people like that? If you don't, it's probably you. Please stop. That way of living is so small and so shriveled. What I've found in my life, and I've had tendencies that tend toward that, what I've found is this. Other people are the most interesting people ever. Like getting to know people's story and being interested in them. There's no better thing in the world than hearing people's story. Like people amaze me. Like the, the, the opportunities I get to hear of what people have done and their thoughts, it, it, they just amaze me. But the Zebas, they're all about themselves. And they're small, shriveled people, clever manipulators. Be interested in other people. Two great commands, love God and love people. So we meet character number two. When King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, the previous king that David has replaced, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, and he came and cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man, literally son of Satan. Yahweh has avenged you on all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have been reigning. And Yahweh has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Shimei, number two, is a character who kicks people when they're down. Now, why do people do that? He could do it maybe out of vengeance, right? He's the house of Saul. David's taken out the house of Saul. He didn't kill anybody. Didn't kill Saul or Jonathan. Had the chance to kill Saul twice. Didn't do it, right? But sometimes people do this. They kick you when you're down because they, they're trying to get revenge on you. Some people do it just because they're mean. He kind of sounds like a mean guy. You read what he says, you sound like you're a mean kind of person. Or thirdly, sometimes people do it because they have low self-esteem. And by kicking you when they're down for a moment, it causes them to be distracted from their own problems. I don't know why he does it, but he does it. And it's nutty. King David is going out with 600 of his mighty men. An elite, it's like SEAL Team 6 times 100. He's got just studs with him. It's insane. He is throwing rocks at them. That would be like throwing rocks at the Secret Service when they're escorting the President of the United States. You might feel like doing that, but that would be stupid to do. He's doing that right here. I mean, it is dangerous. And his curse is not bad words. He's literally calling down God's wrath and he is GD it, right? To David. Which the Bible says, Exodus 22, 28, you are never to curse the rulers, which all of us should have underlined and maybe put on our Facebook page. Do not curse your rulers. And he calls him a bloody man. Tough times will tell you your team. 
David's learning his team. These 600 men, a bunch of hit the army goes with Absalom, but he's got 600 men. Started with them in 1 Samuel. Distressed, disheveled men. And he's just, they have loyalty to him. They're supporting him. Tough times tell you your team. Easy to support someone when they're on the top, when they're the king, when they're winning. You know your team when you're losing. And David's got 600 men that are on his team. Shimei, not my team. Okay. So what does he do? Then verse nine, Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. (laughs) He's pretty polite about it, right? Like, hey, can I please go over and take off this guy's head? He's a polite executioner. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because Yahweh has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for Yahweh has told him to. It may be that Yahweh will look on the wrong done to me and that Yahweh will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. So Shimei's like, this guy's got to stop. Calls him a dead dog. Now, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, people didn't spend $30 billion on their pets like in America. It would be like calling someone a 50-pound rat. They were scavengers, just packed up, and David's like, what are you talking about? He just called me a bloody man, and you're gonna go over there and cut his head off? How's that gonna help me? You're just gonna prove what his accusation is of me. He says, by the way, why do I care what this guy thinks when my very own son has betrayed me and wants to kill me? And then he just says verse 12, and verse 12 is brilliant. I trust God in this. I'm not going to worry about what people say. not going to worry about the stones they're throwing. I'm not going to worry about any of that. I trust God, period. I'm not going to worry about shimmy eyes. This has been my mode. I don't care what people say. I know people say all kinds of things about me. I don't go try to fix them. I don't try to go. I don't do anything, right? So a bunch of years ago, I think it was 14, Edward had just started, um, I went to this gas station. I had my old diesel truck. I said, fill it up. I went inside. I came out. The guy's putting gas in my diesel truck. I'm like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. How much did you put in? 10 gallons. Oh, great, right? Luckily, I had two tanks. And the guy's like, oh, man, this is the second time I did this. I'm gonna get fired for this. I said, bro, don't worry about it. Nowadays, I'd be much more worried, but gas was like $1.50 then. Now it's like $75, so... I said, fill up my, re- my back tank, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So I, I bit the bolt, had to go home, drank the tank, all that. Well, he ends up getting fired 
And then he tells people that I told on him and got him fired and I never did. So this lady, family, friend for a long time, calls me, he's like, this guy's going around, he's saying that you got him fired, you need to talk to him. I said, yeah, I'm not gonna talk to him. What, you're not gonna call him? Nope. But he's gonna keep saying you got him fired. Yep, I'm just gonna live my life the best way that I can and my life will be the proof of who I am. She's like, are you kidding? I said, nope, that's what I'm gonna do. She goes, well, I'm gonna call him then. I said, please do, go for it. <laughs> you do whatever you want, right? That's been my policy. I'm not gonna put out people's fires. I'm not gonna worry about them. I trust the Lord. Let my life, the witness of how I live my life be the proof. Not going out and trying to figure out things and nope, I can do that. And so this guy just kept at it and I love verse 13. He started flinging dust. What happens when you fling dust? You get all dirty, right? That's what happens to people like this. They end up getting dirty. Shimei kicks people when they're down. I've told my son Elijah, as he's had interactions with people and this, I said, you know what? Do the opposite of what you feel. What we naturally wanna do with, you know, kicking people down and, and dogging on people with your friends, do the opposite of that. The best witness in the world is someone that does not attack people when they're down. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, by your great t-shirts, awesome bumper stickers, giant print King James Version Bibles. No, by your love one for another. The way we demonstrate, it's not putting out fires with shimmy eyes and not kicking people when they're down. It's loving people, especially when they're down. We walk in when the rest of the world walks out. So bad character number two, kicks people when they're down. Finally, we get a good character. Verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai, the archite, David's friend came to Absalom. Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, for whom Yahweh and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, I will be his and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should I not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Hushai. If you remember from last week, he's going to be a spy for King David. He is a rare kind of person. He is putting his life in danger for his friend, King David. I call him a Philippians 2 friend. So the first five verses of Philippians says, this is how Christians should be treating each other. Esteem others more highly than yourself. And the example is Jesus, verse five, do we? Hushai is that kind of person. If you have a friend like this, 
you are in the 1% of the world. Hushai will be the reason David prevails and regains the throne. He is the main reason David wins this battle. All because one friend loved his other friend so much that he risked his life for him. Oh, may we be friends like that. Oh, may we be friends like that. So now it gets bad. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines. Concubines are essentially wives. Go into your father's concubines. If you remember from chapter 15, as David is rushing out of Jerusalem, leaving there, he leaves 10 concubines behind to manage the house, if you would. Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear what you have made yourself, will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. These two guys, Absalom and Ahithophel, I call them the bitter brothers. And Ahithophel, brilliantly smart man. Everybody wants him on his team. His advice to Absalom, pitch a tent the top of this roof where everyone can see you, right? All of Israel can see you. This was the ancient way of live streaming something. Live stream this event, right? Go in and rape your dad's wives. That's Ahithophel's advice. Brutal. Why would Ahithophel, a very, very smart man, everybody wants his counsel. It was like the word of God. David wanted it. Absalom wanted it. When David heard of Ahithophel, went over to Absalom, he's like, oh no, this is not good. Why would a super smart, incredibly gifted man give this kind of advice? Used to be the best advisor David had. What happened? Why did he double-cross David, his friend. Do you know why? He had a granddaughter. Her name is Bathsheba. And King David did something to his granddaughter and her husband that he never forgot. I understand why he's upset. No doubt about it. I get it. But what Ahithophel allowed to happen in his heart was he allowed anger to sour in his heart and it hardened him and made him so bitter against David. So that's Ahithophel, bitter, bitter dude. 
You got Absalom. What's he bitter about? My dad didn't defend my sister when she was raped by my half-brother. And he lets that sink into his heart. I had to deal with it. My dad was actually happy I dealt with it and murdered the guy. Dad didn't do anything. He should have. My sister was raped. She's in my house right now. I'm taking care of her. I watch her every day. My heart breaks for her. My dad did nothing. And he allows that to harden. Listen for a second. Very important. Both of them were mad because of sexual sin against someone they love. A granddaughter? They're a sister. So what then do they commit against David? Sexual sin. Against not one person, 10 people, 10 women who had grandfathers, 10 women who had brothers. Isn't that crazy? They up it, not just one, it's 10 women are violated by Absalom. Don't we see that all the time? Don't you see that in kids as well? Right? You always gotta up the level, don't you? You hear your kids complaining or fighting and you're like, what happened? Right? What'd you do? I, he poked me, so what'd you do? I hit him, so what'd you do? I kicked him, so what'd you do? I tackled him, so then what'd you do? I bit him, so then what'd you do? I went home and got my gun, right? It's human nature. You always have to up the level. It gets worse and worse and worse. And bitterness always breeds the same brand. The very thing that they were bitter at, the very thing they were mad at, they do the same thing. I see it with sons that are mad at their dads because of the way they raised them. And then they do the same thing to their sons. Bad photocopies, bad photocopies because they're bitter. Bitterness is a boomerang that takes you to the same spot. It's crazy like that. It's crazy. And every time we think that way, we are fertilizing those thoughts and giving it power. That's what you're doing. That's what these two guys did. Letting that lemon sour you as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. David is the one guy that does the brilliant thing in this chapter. It's verse 12 again. It may be that Yahweh will look on the wrong done to me and that Yahweh will repay. Because David knew the Bible. And in Deuteronomy 32, 25, God says, vengeance is mine. I own it. You don't get it. We wanna grab that back from God all the time. And the moment we do that, we get bitter and we become like these two guys. God says, it's mine. Let me deal with it. I know how to deal with it. I can take care of this. Jesus puts it like this. He goes a step further. It's Matthew 5, 44. He says this, bless those that curse you. The shimmy eyes that are kicking you when you're down, don't get bitter at them. Don't start letting those thoughts get in your head and make you into something that you don't wanna become an Ahithophel or an Absalom. Bless those that curse you. Do good 
to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. There's your antidote. Ahithophel and Absalom would have been saved from this 10 times worse sin about the very sin that they're mad at if it had done this. Blessed those that cursed, did good for those that hated them, and prayed for those that despitefully used them. So here's how it ends. I'll go real quick into chapter 17 and then we'll be done. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, first piece of advice, taken and done. Let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he was weary and discouraged. Was he weary and discouraged? Yeah, verse 14. And throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. This is where the battle takes place. It's in the boardroom. And Ahithophel gets first crack. Bitter Ahithophel, and then it's gonna be Hushai, the Philippian two friend. Praise the Lord that God gives Hushai the words he has. But here's what Ahithophel says. I wanna kill your dad. That's what bitterness has done to him, right? I only want one person. I don't care about positions. I don't care about any kind of part in this kingdom. I want one thing. Give me 12,000 men. I'm gonna run that murdering betrayer down and I'm gonna kill him. Because that's what bitterness does. And here's what's amazing to me. Verse four, all the elders of Israel said, that's a great idea. Two chapters ago, they're like, we love King David. King David's the best. Kill him. Good idea. Wow, man. Wow. That's crazy to me. So here's my final thought. Either your thoughts will control you or you will control your thoughts. That's your two choices. Either your thoughts will control you like it did these guys and drove them to really bad flavors or you will control your thoughts. So let me just read a couple verses for you. Matthew 16, 23. Peter's low point. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for, here's why, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We have a choice. Either your thoughts will control you or you'll control your thoughts. Colossians 3 verse 2.
I'm gonna turn every page in my Bible, I think. <laughs> That's what's gonna end up happening. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ who is yours, his life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. And then last one, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The Greek there is real clear. You choose it. Imperative. You choose it. Either your thoughts will control you, and man, they take us to bad spots. It's taken these guys to really bad spots. Or you control your thoughts. Well, what do I do? Man, our example is Jesus. How did Jesus treat betrayers? When Judas comes to Jesus in the garden, he knows what he's going to do. And what does Jesus say to him? Friend, what seekest thou? One final chance, man, you don't have to do this. Friend, what are you actually wanting right now? When Peter denies him three times, what does Jesus do? Goes back and restores and says, you're my bro, lead the church. How does Jesus respond to the people that nail him to a cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's how we think. And when you do that, life might give you lemons, but you can make some orange juice then. <laughs> Literally, it's transformed into something good. Think like Jesus. Father, a brutal section, a low point in 2 Samuel. People hurt, hurting other people. I pray for every heart in here tonight that we would allow you to be our great physician that heals our woundedness and heals bitterness so that we don't become photocopies of it. Sometimes 10 times worse. I pray for every one of us in here that we would be a group of people that set our minds on things above. It's so easy to think trashy Help us to think theologically. Help us to think like you. Help us to set our mind on how you lived and how you treated people. Help us to think like you today. So I pray for your spirit even now to be filling every vessel in here. We're leaky. We need to be filled with you so that we are a kind of people that are not full of bitterness, that we don't kick people when they're down, that we're not acting rashly and reacting instead of responding, but we are people that are careful 
listeners, that we are people that are lovers and not trashers. So empower us today, I pray. And we ask this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.